The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. What time did you enter the woods? Around 8 o'clock. Then what happened? Then I reached this cliff. It's transmitting in alpha waves with complex frequency patterns in them. I, I know I fell. It's 1986, man. Eight years since that night. This is totally rad. I mean, you're my big little brother. I think we should take a look at this. Where did this come from? From the mind of a 12-year-old boy? He's hurt. He's calling me. His voice keeps calling. Saying something over and over and over. But I can't understand very much. Welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo, and joined again by... Your lovable alien gremlin, Kyle. Kyle. Um, for those of you that don't know, this is uh, the pick that I chose, Flight of the Navigator from 1986. And what you may not know is this is actually the first movie that Kyle starred in where he actually eats a NASA hat. So... <laughs> It just looks delightful. It looks so tasty. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. But if you listen to our last episode, we did say that Kyle was doing a little research on censorship um, because the movie that we covered last week, The Apartment, 
um, has some questionable things in it. So we uh, brought up the question of when did censorship uh, end in the United States? And Kyle has done a little bit of research, and he will tell us now. Yeah, I'm going to read this direct here from the Wikipedia page, actually, so you know it's accurate. <laughs> yeah. Wikipedia actually would be great. But, but um, here we go. There's a little bit prior to this, but um, Chicago was really the first one to enact the first censorship ordinance in the United States in 1907, authorizing its police chief to screen all films to determine whether they should be permitted on screens. Detroit followed with its own ordinance in the same year, when upheld in a court challenge in 1909, other cities followed, and Pennsylvania became the first to enact statewide censorship of movies in 1911, though it did not fund the effort until 1914. Um, it was soon followed by states Ohio, Kansas, Maryland, and New York, and finally Virginia in 1922. Eventually, at least 100 cities across the nation empowered local censorship boards for their films. Then later in 1915, the U U.S. Supreme Court determined mutual film um, and determined the case Mutual Film Corporation versus Industrial Commission of Ohio that motion pictures were purely commerce and not an art, and so could not be covered by the First Amendment. That's wow. insane to me. <laughs> oh yeah, this is these motion picture things. They're not art. <laughs> What? They don't count. <laughs> they don't count. They're not First Amendment. They don't need to be protected. Um, this left local, state, and city censorship boards no constitutional impediment to editing or banning films outright. This decision was not overturned by the Supreme Court until it was heard in the case Joseph Bernstein, Inc. versus Wilson in 1952. That is a... <laughs> that is a 33... Uh, uh, sorry, that is a... Uh, uh, it's just, it's three short, uh, 37 year difference of censorship there, 1952. Its ruling was properly referred to as the Miracle Decision because it involved the short film, The Miracle, part of Roberta Rossellini's L'Amour anthology film trail, uh, series, um, basically an Italian drama series, in, and released in 1948. The Supreme Court's ruling still allowed censorship of obscene films, uh, you know, films, you know, larger containing nudity or adult films but allowed censorship boards to continue under a much narrower authority until the 1965 decision of Friedman versus Maryland ruled that prior restraint of film exhibition without a court order was unconstitutional. The public exhibition of obscene films may still incur legal difficulties after the fact, under the 1973 U.S. Supreme Court case Miller versus California decision. Seven states formed film censorship boards that exercised prior restraint on film exhibitions, which both predated and outlasted the Hayes Code back in the day. Um, it's, here. it's here. Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Kansas, New York, and Virginia. And hundreds of cities you know, continued that all the way up until 1973 there. So that's real kind of the gap there. My guess was actually during the Reagan era where actually films were reading unsubscribed because like he he um, he allowed a lot of like toy marketers and like transformer shows to make like shows that marketed directly to kids and like that too. Right. So it was so actually, about, it. So it was actually, but actually it was like about a decade before that right. in 1973, before they really opened up the doors of like, Hey, actually like this is the first minute, right? But you're talking about, you know, 1915 to 1973. That's almost, you know, 60 years of film censorship being largely allowed, almost unrestrained. Um, so absolutely incredible. And a very interesting factoid. We could probably do a podcast just on that topic alone right. someday, you know? So Kyle, um, oh, thank you for film. that thing. But <laughs> not only that, but you thought you were getting away without a question. But oh, no, no, I have a question. You have a question for me as well, Kyle. Okay. If Kyle was abducted by aliens, who would your I say I haven't? Who would your voice? Uh, oh, co-pilot be as 
Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman, was in this movie as Max, oh. who would be your ideal voice <laughs> to be on? And, and I know you're going to say Gilbert Godfrey or something <laughs> stupid, aren't you? <laughs> it was me and Andy Dufresne. <laughs> I know you're going to no, say no, Morgan I know, Freeman. I was just thinking, like, well, you know, what would be my, 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 you know, like my, my spirit co-captain in that thing, playing the same kind of tone? It'd probably be Alpha 5 from the Mighty Mighty Power Rangers, who was probably a very, very bad Mexican stereotype back when it was released, but he was the robot that goes, ay, 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 every time someone messed up. Um, <laughs> that, that would be <laughs> But he had a cool spherical head thing. It was really neat. But that's what I think would make the, like, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm the Flight of Navigator kid, that's definitely going to be my companion then, because, like, I'm a kid of the 90s. <laughs> it's going to be Alpha 5 from Mighty Warp Power Rangers. I think I'd have to go with... It would be yours. Daffy Duck. Daffy Duck. <laughs> the, I can't do the voice. I can't. We just pick them You're coming where? Oh, man. But since we've already derailed this episode. That's fantastic. Uh, sometimes there's a movie that comes along and you can just have fun with it. That's mm-hmm. what this movie is. So, Kyle, go ahead and take away episode 127, Flight of the Navigator from 1986. Exactly. Flight of the Navigator, released in July 30th, 1986, was directed by Randall Kleiser. <coughs> um, written by Mark H. Baker for the original story um, and Michael Burton adapted the screenplay along with Phil jo, um, Joanne jo, uh, um, Joanne Joanoia I'm going to say Joanoia that's jo. what I'm going to say just, jo. just Phil Joe <laughs> composed by I'm sorry Phil <laughs> composed by Alan Silvestri cinematographer was James Glennon and editor was Jeff Gorson Next up, we have the budget of the film, which was at $9 million in 1986, the equivalent of about $24 million today. Opening weekend, it made $3.1 million, which is the equivalent of about um, $8.3 million today. But it made good money on the back end with gross worldwide of $18.6 uh, sorry, which would be the equivalent of about $49.3 million in today's money. So it made it you know, wasn't a huge success, but it, it, it at least broke even. <laughs> yeah, and, and then some. So good for them on that. Um, quick little synopsis of the film. In 1973, 1978, a boy travels eight years into the future and has an adventure with an intelligent, wise, cracking alien ship um, after going to search for his brother in the forest and then mysteriously disappearing. And then when he returns, he's kind of um, thrust into an, uh, uh, an adventure of conspiracies like that, too, as all of NASA and his family try to discover the truth of what happened in between those eight years where he was entirely missing. So it's a very movie. interesting movie. What would yes. you do? I mean... Can you imagine coming back and everything's like eight years that's, removed? I would say that's the thing about this film that like is almost it's scary. Tough, it, it's it's it, well, it's tough to watch because it's so scarily real in my mind of how they treat all the characters react to him appearing eight years later, completely unaged. Right, and like the, like the the parents are traumatized by that event. And like he, I mean, he was traumatized too when he passes out and how the government is handling it in a very like not. Not like being treated as like an evil. Not the government isn't just a straight up evil, but they clearly have their own um, motivations behind how they treat the boy, and it's just like man. But uh, we'll get to that more in the film um, uh, later on. When we get to our, our thoughts on the actual film. Uh, moving on here, we have some of the technical details of the film. Um, this film was 
runtime of 90 minutes long. Sound mix is a double stereo production. Color info, this is a color film. Aspect ratio, this is 1.85 by 1. A little narrower than our last week film with the apartment right there. And that's a little technical details there. We have a few little awards to go through. We had three nominations that we have here. For the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films in 1987, it was nominated for the Best Science Fiction Film, and um, Randall Kleiser was nominated for Best Director. And then for the Young Artist Awards, Young Artist Awards in 1987, it was also nominated for the Exceptional Feature Film and Family Entertainment and Drama. Next up here, going to move on to the quick cast stuff here. I'm going to try down slow in my speech. I'm a little... I'm, I'm moving my words too fast. <laughs> Mumbling, I guess. Well, it only took you four years to realize this guy. <laughs> I try to be conscious of it now. I, I've had my feed, I've had my feedback on it. <laughs> um, first up, we have Joey Kramer playing the character of David Freeman. Joey Kramer was also in the film The Clan of the Cave Bear in 1986. What? Yeah, right? You ever, ever seen, seen that it? film? No, no. I've not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now answer Dean stereo. <laughs> And he was also in the film Runaway in 1984. Next up, we have Paul Rubens, better known as Pee Wee Herman, playing the character of Max. Um, in the credits of the movie, he's actually credited as Paul Mall. And I said that that was actually his idea to be credited as Paul Mall. And I'm thinking to myself, isn't that a name of a cigarette brand? I don't know if it's still around. I, I got no idea, yeah. But, of course, uh, Paul Rubin is easily best well-known for and will, will forever be best well-known for um, playing Pee Wee Herman in uh, you know, his playhouse. He from- did... He was fantastic in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where he was the vampire that wouldn't die. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> then at the end, he finally he dies. So ridiculous! I love it. I love <laughs> that film. <coughs> is you know he's like seventy years old now or something crazy. Yeah, just, that, yeah that makes sense. <laughs> I can't believe it though. Um, of course, Pee Wee Herman from nineteen eighty six to nineteen ninety, and of course, um, films and other stuff related to Pee Wee merchandise. I think even recently, like twenty sixteen, he was in a Pee Wee stuff. So good on him. And he was also in the Nightmare Before Christmas in nineteen ninety three as well. Next was up, he really? Yeah, you, I think he was one of the voices for which I don't know, I don't know which character, but he was in that as well. Um, huh. Yeah. I have to look it up. I'll look it up in a bit. I'll look it up. Oh, you look it up? Okay, got it. Next up, we have Cliff D. Young playing the character of Bill Freeman, um, David Freeman's father. Um, Cliff D. Young was also in the film The Craft in 1996 and the film Sunshine in 1973. Next up, we have Veronica Cartwright playing the character of Helen Freeman. Veronica Cartwright was also in the film Alien in 1979. That's an excellent film. A legendary, that's probably your most recognizable role easily. And she was also in The Witches of Eastwick. All right, Kyle. He was he was Locke. Remember Locke, Shock, and Barrel? Locke, Shock, and Barrel. Was it? No. Uh, it has been a while since I've seen that for Christmas, it's honestly. The, the three little kids that are like in the, uh, they carry around the bathtub oh, or that, whatever. That was, that was he was also in Batman cool. Returns. What? That's what it says. Paul I'm, Rubin. I'm, I'm looking. You had a lot of cool stuff going on too. I didn't feel like I didn't feel like I even had the need to look it up because I just knew like okay, he's going to be these two. He was the pe- oh yeah, he was the penguin's father. Oh, remember? Neat. That's awesome. I remember now. It's yeah, Batman Returns. Excellent film. Um, next up, we have Sarah Sarah Jessica Parker playing a very you know the you know playing Carolyn McAdams. Sarah Jessica Parker, of course, easily most well known for her performances in the Sex and the City show from 1998 to 2004, and I believe the last film she was in Sex and the City related was 2010, if I remember correctly. And you didn't and even know it was her until I, I did. I, it, in hindsight, it's so obvious, but I'm just uh, 
Grant, what's one of those things in my age again where it's like I'm used to Sarah Jessica Parker from Sex and the City being a little bit more in the middle age group, not seeing younger Sarah Jessica Parker. And uh, also, uh, Paul Rubens played Jokey Smurf in the new uh, Smurf movie oh, the, cool. uh, from 2011. I've not seen that one. I have no idea if it was good or not. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and also, Sarah Jessica Parker, of course, was also in the film Hocus Pocus in 1993. And I think she was in the, the new sequel that she released on Disney Plus, though, but I haven't checked that one out yet. Um, but I would assume she's in that as well. Surely. Surely. Can't be serious. Um, <laughs> Next up, we have Albie Whittaker playing Jeff Freeman. Um, it was uh, David Freeman's little brother. This is actually um, Albie Whittaker's first and only film as Life Navigator playing his younger brother, the oh. eight-year-old version of the brother, not the um, older version. Next up, we have Matt Alder. He plays the Matt Alder. He plays the older version of Jeff. Um, at 16 years old, um, Matt Alder was also in the film Teen Wolf in 1985 and Whitewater Summer, and uh, I think that was a 19 uh, was it 87? I think it was. I think I wrote it down there somewhere. Next up, we have Howard Heisman playing the character of Dr. Lewis Faraday. Howard Heisman, of course, best known for characters um, for playing the character. Uh, I don't remember the character's name, but he was one of the DJs in the show WKRP in Cincinnati in 1978 to 1982. Um, I believe he was also there was a small um, reboot like ten years later, like the new WKRP in Cincinnati ninety two. And he was also one of the teachers and head of the class. At- mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, head of the class. I've not. I actually, I've never seen that show or heard. Of You've it never before. seen head of the class. No, I've never seen head of the class. I watched the first scene of WKRP in Cincinnati, so I like that show God. a lot. That, that seems like something. Yeah. Um, and also, he was in the film Private Lessons in nineteen eighty one. Moving on here with a couple more, a uh, few more people here. We got Jonathan Sanger playing the character of Dr. Carr. Jonathan Sanger was also in the film The Elephant Man in 1980. And then next up, we have Iris Acker playing the character of Mrs. Howard. Um, Mrs. How- um, Iris Acker was also in the film Cocoon, The Return in 1988. Then we have Richard Liberty playing the character of Mr. Howard. Um, Richard Liberty was also in the film Day of the Dead in 1985. Then we have Raymond Fortune playing the character of Te- Detective Banks. Raymond Fortune was also um, um, in the movie SWAT in 2017. Not the same Jackson version, the 2017 version. Right. Yeah. Either SWAT or you're not. That movie was bad. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Jimbo. Because you actually watched it. <laughs> actually, yeah, I watched it. No, no, I know it's bad. <laughs> All right, so a lot of Valley Kyle's out of the way. Let's start about some of the. Fun stuff, and interesting facts. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm sure a, there's a ton for this movie because it's a Disney production. Not really. There's not really what? much. No. Oh, that's sad. So, okay. so when uh, when David's parents pull up to their house at the beginning of the movie, the song playing on the car radio is "You're the One That I Want." Please, Kyle, do not sing from Greece, which was also directed by Randall Kleiser. The movie's initial setting of 1978 is also the year that Greece was released. Oh, cool. So it's got. Nice. Uh, so, so basically, what I've come to realize is that David is actually John Travolta's character at the end of the car is flying. Yeah. Okay. It's all part of the Randall Kleiser cinematic universe. <laughs> Long before Marvel. Look at all his other movies and tie them together in some weird way, like some Disney Pixar theory. It's like, actually, if you go to the time travel story, this is a post-apocalypse of Randall Kleiser. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. In his room in the NASA base, David asks when Starsky and Hutch is going to be broadcast. Randall Kleiser also directed three episodes of Starsky and Hutch. 
You couldn't <laughs> help it. Not the movie, Kyle. Yeah, exactly. Did you ever see any of the TV show Starsky and I, I actually have seen some of the original TV show. Not much, though. Like, it I was watched like, like, a couple episodes when the movie came out, and they were like showing some of it on TV back in the day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but it was still... Do, was, you, do you know that there's... The movie this, was there's bad. This, do you remember the scene where they... <laughs> the when it pulls over at the gas station... Remember? And they come down and that family pulls up. They're like, Dad, can we go see the spaceship? And he's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Well, the girl's <laughs> wearing like an Epcot shirt, which is, is, I think it's only been open for like three or four years. And the kid is actually wearing an old like Miami Vice shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, you know, the guy's like, he just wanted to phone home. home. So that was kind of a throw to E.T., which <laughs> came out just a few years ago. How'd you do that with Matt? <laughs> yeah. So good. Uh, the ship that was used in this movie used to be in a boneyard at the Disney Studios theme park at Walt Disney World in Florida, where it was an exhibit on the Backlot Tour. <laughs> what? So trash <laughs> to treasure, baby. Piece to junk to a huge movie prop. That's amazing. I wonder why they originally even built it in that case. Was it this low, like, this will be the ships of the future? And, like, they just, like, like no, no, it's not. We put it in the trash bin. It's like some guy's like, we'll make it to a movie. <laughs> okay. That, that, talk about, you know, yeah, trash to treasure for sure. One man's trash and the man's treasure. Cinematic treasure. Uh, this is the second film released under the Disney banner to contain profanity. It is also the first involvement of Paul Rubens acting for Disney. A month after this film's release, he continued to perform as Pee Wee Herman for the Saturday morning children's program Pee Wee's Playhouse. The television series aired on CBS. Does it have what 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 um bad word bombs it dropped? Because I don't remember hearing actually. Yeah, know, I remember one spasm head. I, I was like it was like, like spaz kid or something like that too. Like you know. It was a lot of fart breath humor. Like, you, you butthead. That, that was all I remember hearing. But cool. Um, when Max and David escaped the NASA facility, they traveled precisely 20 miles from point of origin. In approximately 35 seconds, making their speed about 2,057 miles per hour, almost 3,500 uh, 3, kilometers an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they like, you overthink it. Like, he's experiencing some G-forces, but if he experienced all the G-forces, he'd be just a puddle. Right. <laughs> Uh, Phalon is located 560 light years from Earth, which is where Max is from. Um, and it's also funny that, you know, they ask, or he, he shows them all the animals that he's caught along the way in this time continuum thing that he's doing, trying to take them back to the future to drop them off. But I'm like, yeah, because I guess they take, they take, uh, abduct different species, take them to their planet, do some experiments on them, and then travel back home. Yeah, like, yeah, that was what he, he's a time traveling machine built to catalog all alien species. In one single instant, I guess. Ah, so, it's weird. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a cool sci-fi idea in a kids' film, though. <laughs> uh, sets for Doctor Faraday's NASA headquarters and David's bedroom were built at a soundstage soundstage at Miami's Limelight Studios. The FAA tracking station for Southern California was the site of several scenes, while the interiors of the sorted hangars located at Opa Laka Airport, no, that's not Willy Wonka's airport, that would be the Upa Lupa Station Airport, uh, stood in for the NASA property. Are you ready for this? This this is kind of a cool thing. Okay. You remember Al's Alligator Farm, the general store, and a dilapidated roadside attraction was filmed at the BR Horse Ranch, owned by actor... Burt Reynolds in what? Jupiter, Florida. That's awesome. Yep. Burt Reynolds, small world there. I wonder if this was, um, I don't know if it's in a trivia later, but like this seems like kind of film where like I could see like the government just objecting to the script immediately. It's like, no, no, we will not help you at all because you well, mentioned maybe, alien spacecraft. Maybe the government helped them. <laughs> oh, man, that's right. They're creating a, they're, they're just creating the, create the idea that aliens are fictitious. Why didn't they, why didn't Max uh, abduct, uh, Disney's brain or his head that they have frozen exactly. in. <laughs> they get it. 
Man. If it if it would have been cool if, if that if that alien that you know lives in the backpack of Max mm. now on or yeah. uh, David on Earth, if it had Disney's head on it, <laughs> it would be a much funnier world if Disney actually did ever lean into the Disney's frozen head theory. Can you imagine <laughs> if it actually happens one day where they bring you back as AI or something? It'd be just what have you done to my studios? Where, why'd you take the cigarettes out of all my pictures? <laughs> Like Why does Mickey Mouse have pants now? Exactly. <laughs> uh, the Puck Marin's design is based on a bat. Um, the loud belch made by the Garpuntal who devours David's NASA hat, a.k.a. Kyle, mm-hmm. uh, is actually the dubbed-in sound of Joey Kramer belching slow down slightly to sound deeper and longer. Longer. Cool. That's a good effect. <laughs> Um, in a 2019 documentary about this film, which I'd, I'd kind of like to see, uh, Veronica Cartwright, uh, was that the mother? Uh, yeah, yeah, Veronica Cartwright. Recalled a chance encounter that she had with her co-star, Matt Adler, who played the role of the older Jeff. On Halloween 2007, only seven months after moving into her present home, Cartwright answered her door to a trick-or-treater and was surprised to find Adler and his young son standing in front of her doorstep. Oh, my gosh. Cartwright said she and Adler had not seen one another since the time the movie was filmed almost 22 years earlier. How, um, how amazing would that be? That's just chance encounter there. <laughs> yeah, that'd be crazy. Yeah. Um, I bet Veronica Cartwright is just a delight in real life. I have no idea why to believe that, but I just do. <laughs> uh, when, just Joey, cool when Joey Kramer enters the spaceship in the NASA hangar, the camera pans to the ground and shows a rectangular tile with a very peculiar symbol. Do you know what that symbol is? What is that symbol, Jimbo? It is the flux capacitor from Back to the Future, another time travel-related movie released in the previous year, 1985. Awesome. Good intentional attention to detail there. Good tribute as well. And we've already talked about this, that where the... Uh, Guy says he just wanted to call a phone home as a, a tribute to E.T. E. and the extraterrestrial. Yeah. So, Kyle, there wasn't a lot of information about this movie, but what is your thoughts on this movie? Yeah, man, this, I, I, I wish there was kind of more to dig into there, but, like, yeah, I kind of, like, um, I, I talked about it a little bit earlier, but it's like this movie has a, a bit of a realness to it that I found kind of surprising and almost difficult to watch in a way that's, like, emotionally uh, sensitive. Like, the idea of having, you know, your kid go missing for eight years and that being treated with the the seriousness you would kind of expect from real life almost, whereas like 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 you know like um uh, uh Jeff his younger brother being told like you're telling the story of like oh yeah they had me going down all the streets every single weekend putting up posters of you for years all that kind of stuff too and the reaction of when like. Uh, um, David comes back to the house too, and they just see their eight-year-old son, who's not aged a literal day, <laughs> come back out of nowhere, and their initial shock and amazement at that, and then um, David's shock himself to the point where he even passes out, and like how serious that was treated was a really surprising aspect of this film that I really appreciate too, because it kind of just it doesn't shy away from it in a way that I really impress with, and uh, and NASA is being depicted in a way that's not like. Um, I feel like it's very easy to make a NASA film where you just kind of glorify them and kind of treat them as like, oh, yeah, they're venturing scientists who have nothing but good intention. And this movie kind of keeps them in a more of a shady government role to a little bit, which was a little more uncommon for the era, too. Because even if, like, film directors were a little more critical of the government, they weren't critical of NASA necessarily the same way. Because, like, those, those are the folks that put people on the moon. they got to be good people. <laughs> so um, that's a, a really cool aspect of this film that I really appreciate a lot, too, where it, um, it kind of... It plays up expectations in a good way where I feel like this movie is 
good for adults to watch, but also it doesn't, you know, it, it's still good for kids without shying away from kind of the seriousness of life that I really appreciate too. Um, and still gets goofy in as well, like with the, um, the Ralph robot and, uh, and, uh, uh Sarah Jess Brocker's character, Carol McAdams. Yeah, uh, robot was funny too. Yeah. The, but, you know, you know, you think about the NASA and, and you remember they say, well, you're only going to be gone 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And then like, it's going to take a lot longer than that. And it's like, there's no way it's going to be 48 hours. But too. it's really cool that they hooked uh, David's uh, brain up to that computer and it was actually reading what the spaceship was doing. And he's like, I didn't say that. Yeah. He's like, where is that? And he's like, Phalon. He's like, yeah. David, where is Phalon? And he's like, I have no idea. And it's like, it's 560 light years from Earth. Yeah. It's, it's, I love that really... the scientist catches on immediately too. It's like, oh, I just need to talk to you and I'm talking to the computer. I already know. You're, the kid doesn't matter at all in this scenario. Yeah, I thought it was really <laughs> cool how they, they tied those two together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as soon as you remember when, as soon as Max, the, the, the computer, starts uh, talking in human and it's Pee-wee's voice, it just gets funnier. Then it kind of goes, so it takes a turn to slapstick in a fun way, though. Yeah. It's like it's earned. Yeah. Um, and I think like, it's a needed relief, too, because before that, like it almost like it, it verges on being too serious at some point where it's like it would be uncomfortable for a lot of people to watch, I think, where it's like actually like it'd be horrifying to get kidnapped by an alien and then transmitted with all these memories and all kinds of stuff too. It's something that like the shows like Stranger Things on Stranger Things and other shows kinda like it, you know, capitalize on now where they right. kinda make it really dark and seriousness. You know, kind of curious they ever do a remake of this movie someday. If they do that exact twist where it's like, let's treat it like way too seriously. It's like, no, 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 you need to. I wonder if Disney will ever do like, I don't want to say a reboot, but if they ever do like a, uh, let's say a continuation where David's grown up now and his and Max goes back and takes their kids. You know, one of the his kids. It's certainly uh, not impossible. I could definitely see like even like a Disney Plus thing or that's something. Not like that. saying, so, right, yeah, yeah, where it's right. like we do kind of a legacy sequel where like the ship comes back and talks to Max in his mid fifties and it's just like. No one believed me. <laughs> I haven't told anyone that I spat on a spaceship because obviously they'll they would just think I was crazy. Um, you know, like what he did with his life and all kind of stuff too. It'd be fun yeah. to see. Yeah, it'd be fun. You to know, see. It could still be a, a cool, wacky story that still has that era of seriousness that I think Vlad the Navigator had. I yeah. think it'd be a good movie. I, I think know. it's uh, uh, for especially for my first time that I can remember seeing it. I may have seen bits and pieces. Like I've I've seen Max the robot or the space thing. You know, the little mm-hmm. thing come out, but. You know, it's one of those things where eh, I'll get to it eventually. Eh, I'll get to it eventually. <laughs> I keep pushing it off. And, and then I'll 10 let, years go And by. I'm like, well, you know, yeah. now I guess 40 years later we will actually cover this movie. So, yeah, um, yeah, I, I thought it was really, really well done. It's, it's a nice Disney movie. But even though it's Disney, it is kind of creepy. Um, very creepy. So, uh, yeah, if you haven't seen this movie, don't put it off anymore like I did because... For me, again, it's probably another solid seven and a half, eight. This, um, yeah, this is right at solid seven for me too. Because I, I feel kind of, I feel mean if I put it at six, but like solid seven, where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. It's not yeah. an eight. It's, it's not a great movie, but it's very good. It's very yeah, good. It's, it's very, worth your time. It's, it's yeah. for for the time it was released mm-hmm. and the topics they covered. It's outstanding. So yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I think it holds up than a lot of other movies that were intended for kids of that era. A lot of other eighty movies of that era. Right. You know. So Kyle. Next week's movie that you have picked out was what? Do you remember? Because <laughs> I sure remember. Oh, wait. Because you chose... Well, no. Okay. Strange Brew. Strange Brew. I have no what idea was what I this thinking? movie is. Yes. yes. A, have you ever seen it? No. I no, haven't no. either. So this is going to be an I interesting... Bought it, I bought it right before you asked me that question. I was like, let's do that movie. <laughs> so I was, I was like on the cuff there. So it's going to be an interesting... I heard it's a good movie. It's a funny movie. So... Uh, we'll see if Kyle gives us another clunker, or if he actually came through this time. Another clunker. The last one we I, I, I last one we ever going was the apartment. That was yeah. A good these movie. two were really pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. So I hope Strange uh, Move is good. We'll find out. We'll, we'll find out soon. 
Um, be uh, getting your tickets to come see us at the live show May 20th. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's in between Mother's Day and uh, Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. So uh, that'll be a weekend you guys can come see us. It'll be a Saturday, May 20th. I believe it's 6 to 10. Um, out at the Haunted Jail in Boone County in Lebanon, Indiana. Lebanon. Um, come see, uh, take all the pictures you want of Kyle. I won't uh, break the cameras intentionally. <laughs> we're still uh, tossing up the idea of what movie we will cover uh, there uh, for the live show. I know the last live show we did, we did Beetlejuice, and it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we're trying to do something just as good, if not better, uh, yeah. for this one. And maybe have some surprises and some giveaways again. Yeah, maybe keeping that. Kind so of like hope that to see you guys there. Right. We'll so yeah. um, if you want to reach out to us, we are thetragedyofcinemagmail.com. Uh, we are on Facebook at the Tragedy Cinema Podcast Facebook group. Um, yeah. Leave us a review, good or bad. Want, we'll read yeah. it up there. Kyle will read them. Yeah, he'll read the good ones. I'll read the bad ones. <laughs> Bring them on. Uh, Tell me I talk to you other fast. than that, I I, I, you know, there wasn't a lot of information out there. I mean, I could have, I could have done some nitpicking stuff, but uh, I think it's better to keep it short this week. Uh, and here in April, our fourth anniversary is coming up already. Fourth anniversary of the podcast. So. Wow. Um, I've got to talk to Kyle. I have some ideas of what we might be covering that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another crowd favorite that I haven't really paid attention to or seen, uh, but I know a lot of people do. Something Um, we can really dig our teeth into would be good. Get get you guys a media episode. You you want me to give you a hint of what I'm thinking? What are you thinking about, Jimbo? I would say that their followers of this movie are called Potheads. That's all Uh, I'll say. So. Uh, with that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close. <laughs> and that's a wrap and cut.